Let's get started. Bottom of the Smash Mountain Podcast, Season 1, Episode 16, Living a Melee Life. Let's get to the podcast! If you're wondering why this episode is so long, it's because Matt.Zeb, our guest today on Bottom of the Smash Mountain, is so generous, so amazing, that when we were talking and talking and talking, all of a sudden we both realized, oh my goodness, we've been talking for almost two hours. So I thought a little bit about whether or not I wanted to make this a part one and part two scenario, you know, make it like about an hour long each episode, but I thought, eh, I I intentionally try to have these conversations sound more natural, so I really wanted it to be one episode, and you'll just have to deal. <laughs> this is the kind of content I want to produce, <laughs> and this is a great conversation, so please stick around. We, took, get, we get all over the place and everywhere in between about Matt Azeb's journey through Melee and his life. And then we talk about 2021 Melee, we talk about all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to, you know, ruin it all for you right now. You know, it's, it's like a, a teaser thing. So really, please, enjoy the interview, and I hope that y'all stick around for afterwards to wrap up. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I am very excited, very honored to have Matt.Zeb on the line. You can find him on Twitter, at .Zeb, and if you read the bio, and I'll sort of TLDR for you, is a competition operations manager over at COD League, Call of Duty League, and is also organizer and co-founder of the Shine series and a bunch of other things that we're going to get into but matt thank you for joining me hey happy to be here thanks for inviting me on looking forward to doing this with you today well i i really appreciate you coming on i i've i've been putting together some 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 dots and connections in my own head and it took me a little while I had I had reached out to you about the possibility of coming on uh, a few weeks ago, but since then it didn't even occur to me. But since then, I found out. Of course, Matt Zeb, you are the one of the legends in the New England melee scene, and of course, Austin melee. There, there's all kinds of connections there, and I've been I've been also had the had the great privilege of having on a few of the Austin Melee crew onto my podcast as well. So it is a privilege to get to know the New England Melee scene that I don't think I knew much about at all leading up to these past couple of weeks. Dude, I, I saw that you had um, Ryan on, you had Chick Chick. Yes. And I also had Patty on, great guys. And um, oh, was, you know, was Patty a separate to, one? Yes, Patty was oh, a separate one. I gotta one. check those out. I, gotta ch- I didn't see the Patty one. Thank you for. Oh, I love, for I love for me. those guys. I love those guys. Well, you you you've you've sold it better than I could. So yes, to anybody who's interested, you can go back and find those. But did Patty so, tell you about when he lived in my closet for like nine months? <laughs> no, I would love to hear that as much as you want to say a closet. Like we're talking like a two by two <laughs> situation. 
Hey, maybe I see one of your, you, you know, you sent me a list of some questions. I see one of them is regarding Smash GG. Uh, that's a part of that tale. So we'll, we'll, we'll save it. Absolutely. Uh, but I think I, what I want to do first is at least cover the beginning for a little bit. You joined mm -hmm. the scene in August of 2005. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I went to my first tournament. Correct. So you don't necessarily have to talk about all of that, but I think what I wanted to at least ask you one or two questions about was the 2006 MLG New York, which, if I recall correctly, was one of the first or the first major that you attended that you were there for. Do you have any mm -hmm. memories about that event in particular? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the first um, that we that that I had gone to the first major I had gone to. Um, New England as a region had a few other big tournaments like Cataclysm, but um, the first Cataclysm I went to, I believe, was after that New York uh, MLG tournament. So yeah, that was the first big one I had gone to. I think um, I was fourteen. I've uh, been playing for you know less than a year competitively. I mean, I've been playing the game since it came out. Right, we played sixty four before Melee came out. You know. Um, but yeah, uh, so it was me, my mom and my sister, we all went together, a little family trip. Um, I remember the, or if I recall correctly, it was pretty close. The venue was pretty close to the Madison square garden. Um, and we had just rented a hotel and, you know, it was the first, yeah, it was like the first video game tournament we'd ever gone to really like, a, like a, like a big one, you know, um, you know, being young, my mother wanted to probably, you know, not let her 14-year-old son just roam around New York City on his own. Um, and so she came to check it out and everything, too, and, and be supportive, which is really, really cool of her, you know, to, to indulge me on something like that, right? Um, and it was only about, it was about a four-hour drive from Boston, about the drive. Um, the tournament itself was really interesting. Um, they had, like, a bunch of booths, like you'd see at most... Uh, uh, tournaments nowadays like DreamHacks and things like that. A lot of vendor booths. Um, Halo was really prominent at that tournament. There was a you know a big stage for Halo there, and Melee sort of had its own sort of like long row of CRTs for people to play on, with CRTs on either side of the row. Like they pro they probably had I don't know. My mind pictures it much bigger than it was. I'm sure. You know, if I had to guess, they probably had less than 20 setups. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting, really something to go there. I thought I would do better than I did. I got bopped. Um, I was like, oh, we're going to fight through the open bracket, you know, get my way over to the pros. <laughs> I, lost to, um, oh, I lost to someone from Deadly Alliance. It was a Link player from Deadly Alliance. And um, another player from New York with the tag... I K Y. Although there's a player who has that tag nowadays who's not the same. Um, but yeah, anyway, that was that was a good time. Um, I regret never meeting Bach. Um, I was there, and Korean DJ knew I was watching a ton of montages at the time. You know, all the stuff that Bach was making and putting out on, like at the time, like Google Video or something. Um, and he was like, "Oh, do you want to meet him?" And I was like, "No, I don't want to be like a fanboy." <laughs> And so I never met Bach, and uh, I'm kind of bummed about that. Um, I thought that would have been pretty cool. I think that that guy did, you know, he was he was the guy hyping up tournaments, making montages back in the day, you know. 
and the godfather of content creation and if i if i remember the alston melee video correctly top 10 of something or other bach was on that list and is now in the film industry or something as far as i know so that's uh, really cool i think that's correct yeah it's something like that he's done he's done big stuff yeah he, i think he shot like some episodes of the wire or something uh, pretty cool um no big deal yeah there's a fun <laughs> there's a fun fact from that tournament uh, too actually, so I'm I'm looking it up as as we're talking. It was at the uh, the Jacob K. Javits Convention Center in New York City, um, and that was it was in when was it? It was in late October of 2006. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, one of my one of the the sort of like senior director at Call of Duty. Um, he's not on the team now, but when I, when I joined the person who was senior director on like the, some of the esports product management stuff, that was his like first tournament that he was working at. So that was just kind of funny. Um, that, you know, that was like my first tournament and then we ended up in like the same team. And that was like the first tournament he like worked at as a professional, but it's, it's great. Also crazy that people have that much longevity in the community that blows me away or in esports. I mean, yeah, what blows me away is that, from my own perspective, just to catch you up on me briefly, I remember when those videos were put on YouTube not too long after the tournament itself happened. Like, I remember, I, I would just look up Melee videos because I love the game, and, and I was born in 95, so let's see, 2006, I was 11 or so, and maybe they weren't posted until early 2007, but the Ken versus pc chris grand finals from that mlg new york i i vividly remember watching and going like oh my gosh i want to play like that i didn't know you could i didn't know you could do that i loved pc chris's falco and mm -hmm. then you know that i've actually never ended up going to a tournament of any kind for melee before the pandemic and and since i, I don't have internet so i can't play slippy but the, oh, the, no. the long and short of that is is that i i now look at you and you were there first of all so that's wild and then secondly you were the kind of person who saw sick awesome melee and thought yeah i'm gonna go do that i'm gonna go do that right now and not too long after uh, maybe maybe it was around that time if mlg new york happened in october of 2006 but it wasn't long before you started trying to TL your own events, to run your own events. And you didn't start off, you know, with a bang or anything, but do you want to talk about like the early days of, of when you decided I don't just want to compete. I want to, I want to run my own tournaments. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean, I'll admit, I think it kind of started off selfishly. I'll be perfectly honest about that. Um, just in the sense where I'm like, I want to play people. So I'm going to just invite them over and run a tournament, you know, um, it, it, it was, it was really out of that sense. And, um, it just kept spiraling. <laughs> it just didn't stop. It still hasn't stopped. Uh, I don't know where the ride ends, man, but, um, no, I, but at the time, especially though, it really was, it was, you know, um, I want, I want good players to play against. How do I do that? There's, uh, you know, I'll just have people over. We had a finished floor in our house. So we had a, a ranch style house, the, the, you know, so it's, it's a, an overground floor, but there's also a basement that's more or less like a finished floor. 
um, you know, bathroom, guest room, couches, refrigerator, all, you know, all this stuff. It's like, a, you know, it's, it's literally a finished floor. Uh, so I, I would, I would have people over for that. Um, you know, <laughs> create a Smashboards post, post my address, <laughs> phone number, <laughs> come through. <laughs> Oh man, uh, <laughs> stuff you would not really be advised to do nowadays, especially. Um, but yeah, and um, I mean, I knew people in New England, so it wasn't really like a ton of strangers. Um, but certainly, a lot of people had come by that I was meeting for the first time, um, and that remained true until um, we ended up selling the house a couple years ago. But uh, yeah, that's sort of how it began: just have people over, bring a TV or a couple maybe pay five bucks, we'll get some pizza and, you know, I'll give it to my, I'll give the rest to my mom as like a thanks or something, we'll put, put some into a pot, you know, um, and just have crew battles and have tournaments and tournaments back in the day were all, it was, you, you would start with low tiers, do doubles and then do singles, um, would be the order of operations. So, you know, we would try to do some of those and things like that too. Um, and after a little bit of doing that, and just like generally expressing like interest in it to other people who are hosting events, um, there was a series called Mass Madness. And honestly, I kind of get wobbly about the exact dates on this, but it was either late 2006 or early, mid-2007, maybe, um, that the first Mass Madness I had attended uh, was. I think it was maybe the second or the third one. There was a, a player, um, goes by Vigilante now, and um, he had pointed out the event to me. And so we were like, oh, okay, yeah, let's let's check it out. And... I think we went maybe at the second or third iteration of the tournament. It was run by this guy, a Red Sox fan. And it was at the venue Game Universe, now known as Game Underground. But at the time, it uh, was Game Universe. And actually, do I have that backwards? I, that back I might have to Google that. It was Game Underground. My bad. Um, I think. No, that's in Michigan. Sorry about that. I'm getting distracted. Um, no worries, no yeah, worries. Yeah, so it's yeah. so it's it is it is game underground. It used to be game universe. It's game underground now, but it used to be game universe and uh, in Framingham off Route Nine. And yeah, we went, did a couple of those, and then the TO. He was from Maine. He was coming down from Maine to run these, and um, probably driving like minimum of two hours. And you know, he says, "I I, I don't want to keep doing this for a variety of reasons." And he turns to me and another player, Ellen, who uh, his, his, his uh, gamer tag was pulled from a single paragraph entry from a Lord of the Rings book. Uh, like Ellen Deal on Triolets or something. I'm butchering it. I don't know. It's like someone's cousin that's mentioned in the throwaway line. And um, so the two of us started running tournaments. We were like 14, 15, and we started 15, 16, something like that, you know? Uh, and yeah, we just kind of started co-hosting tournaments. Um, sometimes Jared would be the main host. Sometimes I would be the main host. And then over time, you know, it just mainly became um, me doing it. And after maybe doing that for a year, two years, something like that, there was a venue in Connecticut that used to host a tournament series called Esticle. And those were hosted by, I want to say Court. Um, was hosting those tournaments, if I remember correctly. Maybe he, maybe Nuss Sirtap with, with him as well, I think might have been the two TOs. And um, that venue shut down, and when they reopened a, a venue called Hall of Gaming in Wallingford, Connecticut, I think this was 2008, maybe, maybe early, somewhere in 2009, 
they reached out to me on Smashboards and said, hey, would you like to run our tournaments? We see that you're running, you know, the, the recurring or bi-monthly, give or take, tournaments at this venue. Uh, would you also be interested in doing this? And I think at the time I had, I had gotten my driver's license. So I must have been 16 or 17 because I was able to drive. So I was driving two hours to, you know, <laughs> taking the car from my mom for a Saturday, uh, which sometimes she was not a fan of. <laughs> um, and driving down to run these tournaments in Connecticut at Hall of Gaming. And I think from that point on, it was sort of, you know, much, much, you know, like I, I am the New England TO, you know, I think it much more became something like that once uh, that second series sort of became under my belt and I had a few more years of, of having done both of them together and stuff. Yeah, I guess that's, that's sort of like the intro steps, I guess. And then from there, I think the next big milestone might have been i think you starting a series called the melee games am i getting that right ish ish yeah um there was a couple other things i had done in between like i lived in chicago for about a year at one point i didn't really do much then i'd like handed off mass madness i handed off hall of gaming um and a couple other random tournaments um then when i came back uh to new england i started up running events again we had a couple more series crop up. There was one they called Smash in the Box, uh, Smash Water Warrior Go Go called Swag, um, and a couple other events. And we started to run a circuit. So I came back to England in, I think it was 2011, I came back and uh, put together a circuit called the Nest Circuit, the New England Smash Summer Circuit. And um, we did three of those. I think the last one was in 20. It might have been end of it might have been 2014 or summer of 2013. Um, I saw my favorite trophy from the someone engraved a bottle of Jack Daniels with the Mass Madness Game Underground logo and wrote the tournament and the date on it um, through like laser etching on the bottle. So I, I still have that wrapped up in a bow and everything. That was that was my favorite little tournament gift, I guess, from somebody. Um, but yeah, so then after those, after doing a couple circuits. Uh, I, yeah, began looking into doing the melee games. And then when you, okay, so you had been in Chicago for a little while, but you said you came back in 2011. Yeah. Is that? I think, I think I was there for like 10 months, something like that. I got out of a relationship <laughs> and talked with another smasher. I'm like, dude, you want to get out of here? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Two <laughs> months later, we're going to Chicago. It's not, hey, that's not the worst thing that's happened after a bad relationship. So, you know, no judges. I wanted to, I wanted to ask a, a little bit about how because for, just in case anybody is under the really odd impression that this is making you a ton of money for you to live on your own somewhere in Massachusetts with all these tournaments that you're running, the answer is no. That is not the case. You were supporting yourself by uh, working a quote unquote you know daytime job. You know by day he's Matt. By night he's Matt Dodzab, or maybe more <laughs> like by the weekend, but. It was a, it was a job that you started pretty much at around the time you came back from Chicago, or the, or, help me get that timeline right. No, I actually had had the job before, um, so, so sort of, sort of for me, like my work history, probably once I once I graduated high school, um, you know, aside from like odd jobs during high school, once I graduated it, I picked up a job at a Dunkin' Donuts and a call center, an answering service specifically. Um, so it was inbound call center primarily, inbound and dispatch. And um, 
I've been, I was doing those concurrently, you know, waking up at like 5.30 in the morning, get to the T, uh, the trains in Boston, uh, head into downtown Boston, work for four-hour shifts, five-hour shifts, do, you know, maybe like 6 to 11 or, or 7 to 12 or something or 7 to 11, and then come back down into Quincy to the call center, which was right next to the Quincy Center train station. Uh, so I would take the train from Boston to that, get some lunch in between, and then start a shift there at 1 or 2, do an eight-hour there. Uh, go home and that was like i was doing that for a bit uh to support myself so you know like generally like 60 ish hour weeks um and then uh i left the Dunkin' Donuts eventually after maybe doing that for almost about a year between the two jobs and so i was still at the call center and you know it was like a family-owned place it was it was a nice little nice little thing you know um low skill found on craigslist if you can talk decently on the phone and know how to use a keyboard and you're not you know, you're able to think on the fly, you're, you're, you're fine. You know what I mean? Um, so it was, it was really kind of easy job to get into, I suppose. But I did that for a bit. And um, when I moved to Chicago, I was still doing the job, but I ended up uh, saying, you know, uh, hey, I'm quitting and moving to Chicago. And at that point, I think I was maybe there for a year or two, something like that, not super long. And yeah, I just, I just did that. But over the holidays, after being in Chicago for, I don't know how long, seven months, maybe eight months, you know, I came home for the holidays, um, end of December. Um, and while I was there, I hit them up and I was like, hey, can I just like pick up some hours? You know, like, I'm sure I still have my operator in the system. I haven't forgot how to do it. And, you know, I was, I was considered like a good operator, I guess. Um, and so I did that. And... After I left and went back to Chicago, they reached out to me and said, um, like, hey, if you're interested in moving back, because uh, I sort of expressed it a little bit, uh, you know, just sort of like talking about options and stuff. Um, they said, hey, if you're interested in moving back, we'll give you a promotion. You'll be a lead operator. Um, so, you know, if other operators have to transfer a call to me or something, uh, or I need to talk to a client, update some information or, or procedures we might have with them, you know, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I went for it. I said, sure, I can move back. I was making like 15 an hour. Um, Cause I wasn't really like doing anything in Chicago. You know, I was like working part-time at Dunkin' Donuts and um, in Chicago. Cause we, we had a four bedroom, a two bedroom apartment with four people in it paying 250 a month. So it was just really fun. It was just like a chill, you know, we weren't, I wasn't trying to make bank or anything. I was just, I was just enjoying myself. So working part-time just to pay the rent and then having fun with the rest of my time, you know? Um, but yeah, so I got back to New England when I was doing the, uh, when I got that promotion to the lead operator at the call center. Sorry, I might, I might be rambling a little bit, but that's basically what I was doing for until Smash GG, basically. So from 2000, late 2011, I think when I got back or whenever it was in 20, 2011 or so, I got back from Chicago until, uh, mid 2016, I was at that job. Which is what I'm, which is what, like. To paint that picture, you're talking about working a job where most people are just mostly concentrated on making it through the week and getting to the weekend and being like, okay, now. Oh, yeah, you're, you're watching the do. clock. You're watching the clock. But it's 24-7, 365. Let's be clear. Um, we have overnight operators. It's, it, somebody needs to be answering the phone calls. We had a lot of uh, uh, visiting nurse associations, VNAs, hospice agencies, things like that that were reaching out or not reaching out, but our, our clients, we, I think our answering service was one of the largest clients 
um, for like the VNA Association of New England or something like that. Um, a lot of doctors' offices. So there, you know, it's if you if you have a business that gets a phone call after hours and there's a true emergency at risk, like if you're a doctor or a hospice or something like hospice, somebody could literally have just died. Uh, and we did get calls like that where people would call and say, "Hey, my mother just died. And we have to take a message or connect them to a hospice nurse at 11 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 4 a.m." Um, you know, that sort of stuff was a thing. Um, so no, it was, the business didn't shut down. So sometimes I did overnight shifts and stuff. If I had to like cover for somebody, at least overnight was time and a half. So there was a little bonus there, but you'd be the only person on the system from usually midnight to six when the morning operators would come in. It'd be kind of interesting. Kind of boring. And all that, <laughs> all that leads to you going, yeah, I, I can, uh, I can, you know, just casually run a tournament where there's 20 people in attendance, 40 people in attendance, 80 people in attendance. Not that that necessarily happened every weekend, but just you had the drive and the passion for, for melee to compete, to run tournaments, to continue to network. Because one of the things that I heard you say more than one interview that I, that I watched in preparation of this was you talking about New England Melee on Facebook, seeing anyone related to Melee either at tournaments or anywhere else and be like, by the way, you should hop on New England Melee on Facebook. You should hop on, oh, yeah. you should hop on. Oh yeah, that was a part of my registration flow uh, at tournaments for a while actually. So when I'd be, you know, like, hey, what's up? What's your tag? Take their money, whatever. Oh, and by the way, are you in this Facebook group? We have it. Because um, at the time, I think, before, before like, New England Melee kind of really started to take off, I think probably from, like, 2010 to probably 2014 or so, maybe late 2013, New England Melee had about 300-ish, maybe 350 people in it, you know, got up to that point. Um, and then our tournaments really started to take off. Now New England Melee has, what, like, 400 or 4,500 people, something like that, give or take. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely grown. And I think that that helped a lot because it, it, it got all the people who were attending our tournaments at like all these new people, I should really say all these new people. Cause if you were in the new England scene, you really knew everybody. And I think that's very true for a lot of other communities and, and still true for some communities nowadays, but you know, uh, many of them have ballooned a lot. But it was very, very true, uh, especially then. Like people I knew at tournaments in 2012 were people I knew at tournaments in 2007, and so on. You know, a lot of people in New England have been playing for a very long time, um, and we didn't always see like a huge inflow of new players. Uh, not until uh, Evo 2013 and the Smash Shock. And so that was that was one way to capitalize off off that inflow of people to help keep them in the community. A lot of people, uh, maybe perhaps the, the casual fans, such as my, myself, because like I said, I'm still at the uh, bottom of the Smash Mountain here, but I just sort of look at Melee over the years from a passive perspective, very like, oh, so this big, happened, this big thing happened this year, and I, I might not really much know much more than that until I started following things a little bit more closely recently, but there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes and it doesn't, it doesn't happen by accident that scenes sustain themselves, that communities sustain themselves and grow over time, take advantage of the big pops like the smash documentary, like Evo 2013, the, mm -hmm. you know, the smash summers and the new game releases, because it seemed to be after games like smash four and smash ultimate releasing, there'd be 
a bunch of new people interested in melee because they would see melee at dual events. And the point is, is that you were one of the people in New England, New England in particular, one of the leading voices saying that we gotta, we gotta keep, we gotta keep the engagement. We gotta make things fun for everyone, make them want to come back, make them want to bring their friends and make this as awesome an event as possible and keep building and building on all of, all of that momentum leading up to, well, at least one of your big, you wrote one of your own big personal breaks where you did get a job at Smash GG. So, do you want mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about what led to June ish of that year? And you know, you've been working six ish years over at the the call center and mm-hmm. running these events, melee games. Yeah. Everything's going well. And then, how does Smash GG come into the picture? Yeah, um, and and to and also, I think we kind of uh, I, I might have thrown us off course, but for the listener, uh, the Melee Games was a college league that started in early 2014 off of the back of all that inflow of players I mentioned in 2013, where I initially just thought it would be a few teams around Boston, said, hey, you know, if you got five players, sign up, here's a Google form. We have this weekly tournament on Tuesdays in this bar. Come through, we'll run a small bracket, you know, it'll be a fun little thing. The first team that signed up was from Connecticut. It was the University of Connecticut. It was the first team to hit five players and qualify. So it was already, from the get-go, bigger than I expected. And over time, we did that for a number of years. We ended up having 25 regional directors and 250 colleges across North America, um, specifically the U.S. and Canada, at, in, in its heyday. And um, yeah, that was, that was just uh, something that lends itself to, to my background of experience that kind of pushed itself into, into Smash EG. But that's only a little piece of it. Another part as well is that in 2015, I formed a company called Big Blue Esports with a couple of my friends in New England. These were people who started attending tournaments, again, off, also off the boom in the community. So they were also relatively new, but they're seeing me run these tournaments the way I'd always done them. Basically a one-man show. I'm setting up the stream, I'm bringing the stream equipment, I'm organizing the setups, um, I'm running the tournament, I'm taking registration, I'm tearing the venue down, I'm setting the venue up, you, you know, um, really doing anything. And if I needed to step away for any reason, I could reliably point to most people at the tournament and say, hey, take over, which is pretty cool, not going to lie. Um, a lot of people who have been in tournaments for a long time in New England have probably, you know, taken 10 minutes behind the TO desk uh, in my stead. Um, but uh, they... they started helping out, uh, Colin and she, uh, and Avery as well, uh, although Avery has gone over to do other things nowadays, but uh, Colin and she in particular are still, still with us there at Big Blue, um, and we started running bigger and bigger events in New England, and eventually that culminated into saying, hey, we can probably run a major, right? Can we do <laughs> And we decided to do this tournament series called Shine, and that was in 2016, and that kind of popped into the community's purview, I think, in early 2016. Um, so while this is all happening, a platform called Smash EG, uh, the founders were pretty interested in the game. They might have seen streams of it in 2014 and things like that. Went to their first tournament, Apex 2015. Uh, they already had some idea of wanting to do a thing uh, for the community. You know, they'd been interested in other sports and competitions, and they saw some parallels and areas to improve. They went to Apex 2015. I did not meet them there, I don't, I don't think. Um, but shortly after, they decided, you know, yeah, we're going to make this bracket platform. And they 
started to, after they had some semblance of a product funding, uh, which I think was at the time just angel funding, um, you know, just friends and family. And um, they had this working product that was a bracket and uh, they would pull myself and a couple other tournament organizers in the Melee community into calls to look it over and provide feedback. And uh, so I got to know the team that way and I got to know them just better through the year saw them at Big House that year in 2015, and then at, I think, Genesis 2016, um, met them again, uh, you know, uh, would hang out, drink a little bit, as you do, at, you know, after parties and such, um, so I got to know them, but that whole time, I'm still doing those weekly calls. Sometimes I couldn't make it because they started coinciding with the work schedule shift I had, um, and then they finally got... A, uh, a seed round in late 2015, which prompted them to, uh, which is different than an angel round. Angel round is just like, I'm, you know, maybe like a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe, to like help the people who are trying to do something just live and focus on that for a few months. Seed round is more in like an order of a couple million dollars uh, from VCs that will allow your company to grow and survive for a number of years and, and actually pay people. Uh, depending on how well you, you do it, right? Um, so they got their seed round in late 2015, and they started putting out applications. They hired somebody in 20 in January 2016. Fun fact: first hire for Smash GG. Uh, everybody knows and loves him, Fizzy, uh, lauded for his development with Project Slippy. I was the first person to get hired at Smash GG that wasn't a founder. Um, and I joined in the middle of 2016. Now that wasn't really like I had been applying or anything like that. To be perfectly honest with you, I had I, I tossed my hat in the ring for an esports job at Twitch, which ultimately went to Blur and somebody else. And I think um, mid-2015, it was sort of off the backs of, of some of the efforts of people at Apex 2015. I, I, I think they got put in the spotlight to a few of the right people at Twitch and when they applied, were able to leverage that um, for a position to work with the community, uh, fighting games and melee in particular from their position. So I had tried to apply for that, though, and, you know, I'm looking at my resume and putting it together, and I'm like, ah. um, you know, I didn't feel great about it. I didn't, I didn't go to college or anything like that, so I don't have, like, a degree or education to back myself. I only have what I've done, um, and it just didn't, you know, I didn't even get to an interview, which is fine, and um, the Smash EG applications started coming out in, you know, late Q1, Q2 um, for, like, partnerships and, like, non-engineering roles, basically. Um, I just didn't think about it. I didn't even think about applying. I shared the posts. I'm pretty sure I retweeted. I posted them on Facebook. But I, I really didn't even send in a resume. I didn't do any of that. And I remember one day, Robin, a juggle guy, I think it was like a Monday night or something, messages me or says, hey, did you apply for that Smash EG job? I said, no. And uh, he, my thought was, oh, maybe that just came up in that weekly call, uh, on that Monday call, because I didn't make that one. And the next day, I think it was I think it was the next day, maybe the day after, uh, Sean, who is the CEO uh, at the time, reached out to me and um, you know, and again, we'd been friends, like I said, we'd met a couple times at majors and hung out and stuff. Uh, but he just messaged me and said, "Hey, do you see the job?" I said, "Yeah, I, I saw it." He said, uh, "Are you interested in it?" Um, I said, uh, "Yeah, sure. Uh, give me a few minutes." And I go and I take a shower. It's like it's like 7 p.m. 
maybe for me when he messages me, maybe 7.30, I don't know. It's late, it was you know evening, but he, you know, so I said, uh, yeah, let me think about it. So I go and I take a shower and I, cause I kind of realize I'm like, well, huh. You know, like this person's asking me that question fairly directly, um, you know, and he's in a position to like make decisions, right? So like there was a little inkling like maybe um, this could win, we, you know, go somewhere. And where, where else better but to think, you know, than under a nice shot, hot shower head, right? And um, Amen. So I came back and I, you know, 20 minutes later, whatever, like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And we hop into a call and we talk for like an hour. And, you know, some, and he was just telling me about the position, what it would be, all this. Um, I was curious how that might interact with what I was doing with Big Blue. Uh, didn't interact at all, which was nice. You know, there was no like, oh, you're going to have to step away from your current company or projects or whatever. Um, very, very much the opposite. Uh, rather, there's a lot of encouragement to continue working on them, which is really cool. It was really nice to see because, you know, that, that couldn't been almost a deal breaker at the time and uh yeah the next day i have an interview <laughs> like literally like the next evening i have an interview after after talking with him and it's with these these two guys um ogle and susky and uh we talked for about an hour and i, I didn't really have an interview i don't really you know i wasn't really actively applying for jobs i wasn't trying to get something you know i always just sort of had and this is what I live a lot of my life with as, as sort of like a, a kind of a philosophy, but it's like, if you, if you keep doing good things and be a good person, things will eventually work out one way or another. Um, and so that's sort of what was keeping me going. Maybe it was a delusion because I also had no like future prospects, right? Like working at a small call center is not like a family owned call center is not a place to level up in. I didn't go to school. I dropped out of college two times. Uh, thankfully, on um, uh, I, don't, I don't remember what you call it, but it was like a, a cheaper like FAFSA or something like that. So I was like, you know, I didn't have to pay a lot. I didn't really have student debt. You know, like I paid off the last of my student debt in like 2013, and at worst it was like a couple grand. So kind of lucked out there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I didn't really feel like I had a lot going on um, or a lot of options. So that's sort of why I was just sort of keeping myself going by thinking that sort of thing. You know what I mean? And uh, I had that interview. We talked for an hour. I thought it went great. It didn't. It went so bad. They went back to Sean. I learned this later. I learned this later. They went back to Sean. Like, no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, we're not going to hire this guy. Oh, that's, and, uh, I'm glad that you didn't know during the hiring process, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I found out maybe like a year later. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm actually, I, I'd say I'm pretty close friends with Ogle, uh, especially nowadays, and um, we laugh about it. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I can't believe I thought that either after seeing me work, you know." Um, but Sean, what he does is he reaches out to She, who is one of the other co-founders of Big Blue, as I mentioned. And Sean reaches out to She, and he says, "Like, am I making a mistake? Like, I want, I want to hire Matt. Am I, am I making a mistake here?" That was after Olgo and Suski had told him, like, no, nah, um, we shouldn't hire this guy. And, and she says no. Uh, so kudos to she. Thank you, dude. Um, and so Sean calls me back. And so Sean goes back to those two and says, uh, yeah, I think we're going to hire him anyway. So Sean calls me back an hour after the interview had ended. So all of that was she and talking to them and everything. 
you know, their internal conversations and all that, all in the span of an hour. And he calls me back and he says, yeah, all right, cool. Uh, when can you move to San Francisco? <laughs> so it's like, uh, uh, give me a month. And then a month later, January, uh, January 2016, I fly to Vegas because Smash EG would take a week um, off-site. So they'd rent a house in Vegas for a week that the Monday to Monday, uh, Monday through Thursday was just, you know, uh, hanging out, but also like company meetings you know, like planning and, and things like that. Uh, and then Friday through Sunday is Evo. Um, so I fly to Vegas for my first, you know, time to meet everybody. And then that Monday after we drive up to San Francisco from there. And uh, that, that began my living on the West Coast and being a Smash GG employee. And then until uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, you were at Smash GG living in San Francisco? Technically correct. I was living at Sma in, in San Francisco uh, about a year ago working at Smash GG. However, I was not in San Francisco the entire time I worked at Smash GG. There was a point, so I was in San Francisco about a year and a half. Smash EG got another funding round during that period. Uh, we got a Series A funding round. And we decided to open a Denver and an Atlanta office. The Atlanta office would be primarily focused on engineering. The Denver office would be primarily focused on partnerships and partner success, customer support, things of that nature as well. And I was requested to move to the Denver office. And yeah, I mean, cool. Let's run it, sure. So I did. I moved to Denver in December of 2017, and I was there almost two years um, working out of the office there, which was relatively small, to be honest. We worked out of a shared office space. It was a, I think it was a, was it a WeWork? I think it might have been a WeWork, um, or one of those others. I'm, I'm blanking on what it was actually called. It wasn't the biggest one. Whatever the biggest one where that CEO paid bank off stocks or some crazy thing. It wasn't that one. But. So anyway, uh, I'm out there for a while and moved back to San Francisco because Smash EG eventually, uh, unfortunately, did not get a second round of funding. Did not get a Series B is what it's called. And um, they had to lay off some people, close some office. The, the Denver office in particular got closed down, sadly. And yeah, I moved back to uh, SF in September of 2019. And then in um, January 3rd, 2019 or 2020, January 3rd, 2020 was my last day at Smash UG. Um, before we, before we, we, we get into what might be next, do you want to hear the Patty story? Yes, absolutely. Because uh, this, uh, well, I do probably I'm going to get a little all over the place, but yes, please talk about the Patty closet story. <laughs> I need to hear this. Yeah, no. So, so, all right. So we're in Denver. We're in, we're in Denver. Smash EG's in Denver. Um, it's early 2018. I want to say it's early 2018. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's correct. Might've been early 2018, honestly. I, um, or 2019. I'm, I'm so bad at this right now with my dates, but anyway, I have a bunch of work on my plate. And I'm like, man, I got to figure something out here. Like, I got so much to do. Yeah, it was 2018. It was definitely 2018. 
And in maybe March, you know, I, I, I really line out all of the stuff I have to work on and I make a case to uh, my, my boss. Um, I want an intern. Let me hire an intern. Here's what I have to work on. Here's what I'm going to give the intern to do. Let me, let me hire somebody. And um, I, I immediately start thinking of who I'd want, and it's Patty. Because I felt like Patty had this hunger. And he does. He totally does. I'm sure you felt it talking to him. But just has like this hunger in him that if he's given a shot, um, and it's something that he's interested in, that he could crush it, right? Um, and so I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, are you down to uh, you know, interview for this position and maybe move to Denver in a few weeks? <laughs> and he, I helped him craft his resume and all that, uh, which was kind of funny. Uh, that um, he, much like my interview, his resume didn't matter. Like I never submitted uh, a resume, a cover letter for Smash EU. I never did any of that. Purely those conversations I told you about. Um, so you know, with Patty, like yeah, he submits his resume. But it, it was such a formality. He interviewed with, um, I think, Bear, who you might know through the fighting game community specifically, or as a Smash Ultimate CEO. He interviewed with Bear, and Bear just so apparently just more or less went into the interview because I had talked with Bear a lot uh, before this, you know, and, and talking talking about Patty and everything. I guess Bear mostly went into the interview, just like, uh, yeah, when can when can you start? <laughs> so the resume part didn't really seem to be too relevant anyway. Um, and yeah, so sure enough, Patty ends up moving. But the easy part of it is, sorry, I'm taking a long way to get to a, an easy uh, answer for you about why he was in my closet, uh, was that when I asked him if he would move, he didn't have housing, but my apartment, I had a one-bedroom apartment, fairly, it's like 70 square feet, something like that. And there was a walk-through closet. So the closet would have a door to the bathroom and a door to my bedroom. And my bedroom would have another door to the living room. The bathroom had another door to like the entry of the apartment. So, and, and, and the closet was big enough. You could fit like a queen size mattress in there. It was fairly decent size. So, so he gets a twin, puts it up. I, I'm like, yeah, I just pay me like 500 a month till you figure something out. You know, one of those doors just never opened, the one between his room and my room, which closet in my room, I guess. But, you know, it wasn't necessarily super weird. It's not, it wasn't like a closet where like he opens it and it's just like my bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he could, he could leave and roam about the apartment without disturbing me or anything like that, you know, and vice versa, which is good. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the story of Patty living in my closet for like nine months or something like that. It was just, we moved him out to Denver on a fly, uh, on the fly. Uh, and he just needed a place to live for a bit. And with and the the whole the whole thing of that is that you knew Patty. There was a relationship there. So like, this is this is a story that that is cool and it worked out. But it's also a don't try this at home story as well at simultaneously. <laughs> that that is that is that is fun to hear about. I, I didn't some, get to YOLO but, moves. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. But now you're now you're over at uh, Call of Duty League, and so despite that, you've still remained in Smash. I guess one of the big questions that I think of when I think of you being over there, but 
still being involved with things in Melee is the Shine series. There, there wasn't one for 2020, obviously, pandemic, but did you have a hand in the subsequent Shines after Shine 2016? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the, the business discussions would be handled by Sheen. Uh, I think he brings that very strongly to the table. Uh, Colin um, and myself would tackle logistics. Colin would typically set out like the proper, like like the schedule. Um, you know, he, he at first when he was getting into TOing, like there was a lot of information in part, but he's just such a smart guy that uh, you know he was able to pick up so much of it and and really came up with some great scheduling and innovative options for how we put things together. So I would work a lot on like uh, making sure we have smooth flows around the tournament with our registration, uh, with our side events and things like that. So if you'd seen like the sort of stay in your lane type side events, that was, those are things that sort of were under my purview. Um, so yeah, no, no, I was, I was still involved in that regard. And then obviously like when it came down to the last like two or three weeks of the tournament, what I would do is fly back to Boston and basically spend all of August in Boston. And uh, I think maybe two times for two of the shines like 2017 and 2018 like we would get a hotel room um on like the tuesday or wednesday before and basically just like all nighter you know uh, all the last minute prep stuff emails everything because we're a small team like we don't we don't have like a full team so like we're also the ones handling replies on social media marketing uh working with vendors emails um just all of it like everything it was really it was really handled by more or less like four people or so just wanted to make sure you finished your thought there you still with me yeah yeah yeah. that's uh but yeah i yes i was i was still working on shine um despite not living in new after moving to smash eg you had obviously traveled all, all over the place so especially in North America, North America for tournaments, but mm-hmm. moving out of Quincy, out of Massachusetts, over to San Francisco for Smash DG, like, was that a big deal other than the obvious thing being, oh my gosh, I have an esports job, let's go. <laughs> like, was that, was yeah. the thought process of, wow, I'm leaving, you know, family, I'm leaving friends, I'm leaving roots, I'm leaving the East Coast, traitor, like, <laughs> Were there any of those kind of thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I definitely got a traitor. The New England Melee Boys. Oh, boy. I think Patty might have been one of the first people to call me a traitor. Um, all out of love, though. You know, I don't think anybody was actually mad about the news. Um, I think people were very excited for me. Um, no, I mean, I definitely, you know, leaving family and friends. and I mean, it's not, it's not easy. Um, it wasn't the first time I'd done it, you know, uh, outside of living in Chicago. I also lived in Rochester, New York for two months, which is just so fun. That was a total on a whim kind of thing where uh, some players from upstate New York from Rochester came down to a mass madness one year. Uh, I think I was 18. So this might have been in um, God, like 2009. I think it might have been the summer of 2009. Um, they came down and I went back up with them. Like we had some, we had a little bit of conversation before they drove, before they came down to the tournament. That 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 was going to be the plan, but it was it was pretty like, why not? And uh, you know, I, I went a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> I lived in Rochester, New York, for like two months before I came back because there was another tournament that we drove back to Massachusetts for, and then I went home. 
Um, and then, you know, Chicago and everything. And I, and I had had apartments around Quincy prior as well. So it wasn't like a totally new thing. Uh, the distance was pretty significant, though. But yeah, it, I mean, it was just something that. I don't know, it was, just, it was one of those opportunities you just can't not take, you know. So it, all, however, I felt about not being close to friends or family. Um, I don't know. They were sort of, they are almost second, if that makes sense. I understand where, where you're coming from because this is, this validates all of the work, like in my mind, from, from your own perspective, I don't want to speak too much for you, but it, it validates all the work that you've done leading up to that point because it, it, it's work that should have because you know thank you tios uh, along that line of discussion definitely uh underappreciated sometimes but thinking about how from 2006 on you were doing work that probably should have been compensated for uh, at least a little bit more and to come out of all of that with a job that is something that you love doing and that you're still working in esports today it's a passion that you have moving across the country yeah not a big deal it's not like you're uh, carrying like you know wife and kids or girlfriend kids whatever mm-hmm. you get it like a like a immediate family that you're carrying over it's just you right. so that that makes more sense in, at least in my mind and, and to I, your I point sorry. sorry go ahead keep going keep going but to uh to your point you would come back for shine you would you, you were in denver so it's not like it's san francisco and you've been stuck there ever since now you're down in la is that correct yeah Right. So you still you still get to see people and of course through the magic of Discord and Zoom uh <laughs> closer and farther than ever at the same time. So <laughs> yeah. And I should say too um, the situation of a melee player or somebody in a in a community, it doesn't even need to be a gaming community, a community in general. Um you know, some some subculture kind of thing, you know. If you are in a global community, it's, it's, it's less daunting to move city to city. I was able to move to Chicago and go to Smashboards and immediately go to a Smash Fest and a few days later. I was able to go to San Francisco and do much the same. I, I knew a lot of the people who were in the Bay Area already from tournaments through the years, and um, I think that takes away from a lot of the loneliness that you could potentially encounter when moving from city to city, and I, I think that's just something that more or less any smasher could be extremely grateful for. That that certainly made it easier for me. So it we've covered a lot so far with, with, with your story and thank you so much for, for sharing. I wanted to ask you about the, the TO overview in the sense of whether or not there's any other facet of melee that you could have seen yourself going for at one point, or maybe you look back and think, should I've tried to be a player? Should I've tried to be a content creator? Uh, which the main thing is player content creator TO are the three big ones that I can think of. You can supply any more if I'm missing, but did you ever, especially maybe at the beginning, but even, even still, even throughout the early 2010s consider, you know what, maybe, TO isn't the right thing for me to do. Maybe I want to focus on something else within Melee or even in another gaming community. 
the way I would describe what I did as a TO was following a compulsion. It wasn't a conscious train of thought. So I, I, aside from what I had mentioned where, you know, it was the first, like, you know, 2006, and I want to host people to come over and run a bracket in my basement because I want to play Melee. Um, you know, it, it really just became something I was doing. I, I didn't really think that it was some, a path necessarily that I was following with a purpose. It was just, yeah, I run these tournaments. What I do. I don't know what, I don't know what more you expect from me. <laughs> That's how I felt. You know, that's just really it. Um, you know, so it wasn't like there was a long plan or anything. And I, but I did definitely battle internally a lot about player versus TO. Um, the player side of me still doesn't want to say that TO is one, but hey, come on, TO, TO is one. But the player side of me still almost doesn't want to admit that. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, so is moving. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just had to say the Falco is moving. Hey, man, the bird is good. I'm like people, you know, whatever. Like I don't enter a ton of tournaments, but like in terms of how I interpret the game and my my technical ability, I'd say it's at a peak. Uh, my drive to win and compete is certainly nowhere close to where it's been in the past. But in terms of my my understanding of the complexities and ability to execute around those complexities in the game, um, to me, are the, the greatest they've ever been. Um, but that's aside from the point. I still think I'm a good player. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I think clearly I'm more known as a tournament organizer nowadays. I don't think other paths to your question, um, other paths like content creator. Uh, really, really came across as something I want to do. Although I did, sometimes I made combo videos. Um, I think I might have made some highlight videos of tournaments before too. And um, I've definitely casted. I like casting, but it's not something that I'm constantly uh, pursuing gigs for. You know, if someone asks me and comes up to me to say like, "Hey, are you down?" I'm super down. I love doing it, but it's not something that like I try to. Uh, get ahead of other casters to to do tournament casting. You know what I mean? I feel like there's a lot more people out there who want to be a caster versus just like, yeah, that's fun, sure. You know, which is like how I feel about it. But there's people out there who really, really want to do it. So I'm, I'm never going to be competitive about getting a caster slot. You know, I, I feel like there's way more deserving people or people who have more hunger for it. But it is a nice time. One of the content pieces that I found, well, first of all, should we even talk about your YouTube channel? <laughs> you do have one. Yeah. Oh, man, this is your podcast, dude. I'm at your mercy. <laughs> Korean DJ, the master of overkill. That, that's, that's the one famous. I, I, watching that today, I was thinking to myself, that's where Samox got all of the Korean DJ footage from. Like, if, <laughs> or it feels like most did you, did of you it. find clips from that? It is, oh, wow. That's funny. At least one or two, it felt like, you know what? I feel like I've seen this in the Smash documentary, which, yeah, I've, I've watched more than, more than once. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. But it, um, <laughs> I, I like that video. But um, what I guess what I wanted to, to ask about the, the, the YouTube channel, like six years ago, that was probably the last time you updated. I mean, that was 2000 and 
I can't even do math, but 2016, 2015, somewhere around there. You get it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so like, there's there's pretty much uh, no interest in doing any of that kind of stuff moving forward, yeah? No. Uh, yeah, in general, I don't... Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say that's a thing I have interest in. But the fact that it's still there, I do appreciate that. There are oh, yeah. uh, maybe like a, a, a certain percentage of YouTubers who go, ooh, that's really old. I just love seeing upload date something something 2006 or something something 2007 because that's i remember those days youtube was great in those days hey man, youtube's you fine now seen, but... you should have seen my channel when, when i was uploading naruto episodes bro oh wow you were i used, you were going I used to have i legit used to have like 50k view naruto episodes where like it was like among the higher viewed at the time on youtube like you know 2007 whatever uh <laughs> I, was, I was getting them out there man you're welcome, world. Yeah. YouTube took him down, though. It's jerks. I do want to return to Matt Dodd the player, for a little bit. Love yeah. how many forward smashes you would throw out back in the day, especially. And we do have to talk about this at least for a second. Uh, to those of you, the one person in the world, Leffen, who's going to hear this, you may want to skip forward a little bit. But that, that Leffen set, do you, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. Yes. How in the world did you manage to win game one on Final Destination, Falco versus Fox? You're the Falco, he's the Fox. And I, yeah, I know that the meta has changed and everything else, but I'm watching the game today and I'm just like blown away by you had some great conversions and you were able to finish off stocks pretty easily when you were able to get openings. And I'm just looking and going like, wow, this is how, how is how is this happening? Even though I can sort of understand what's happening, it still, it still blew my mind. Like, what do you remember from playing that set? Mm, thinking I would lose. It's really... Totally, that's think, totally fair. Yeah, like going... I mean, you know, you're sitting down with playing left. And I think at the time he was top 20, maybe top 15. I don't remember his exact rank, but he was good. You know, he was considered like one of the top players in the world for sure, and I wasn't. Um, you know, uh, I still never been ranked top 100. I think the only real viable shot I had it, like uh, making an argument for it though, was 2013, 2014. But, uh, at the time I, I, I hadn't been ranked and, um, yeah, I just going into play him, I was like, yeah, I think he's just probably going to beat me. So, you know, when you go into a set with just not really an expectation, you know, like, I'm not like, oh, I gotta try really hard to beat this guy or, you know, anything like that. It's just like. Yeah, he's probably going to kick my butt, but all right, let's give it a shot. Uh, you know, that's really just the way I went into it. And um, yeah, it kind of worked out better than I anticipated. Absolutely. Uh, now, I, don't, I don't know if he was, you know, I mean, he was on vacation. I remember that. He was with his family in Long Island. I think, I think Long Island or somewhere in Manhattan. Yeah, he was on like a family vacation. So I know he's not like hella into the melee at the time. Um, you know, maybe just went to the tournament for, for kicks, right? Um, he was also coming off of a loss. Uh, so people people bring up my win against him. People don't bring up G-Money's win against him. Yeah, that was because a that, was, that was the loser's set that you played, and Leffen was in losers because of G-Money. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I knocked him out of the tournament, sure. But no, this was, this was a team effort. This was a layup. G put the ball in the air, and I dunked it. And um, people don't talk about G-Money, so shout-out to G-Money for that. 
but you know, so maybe that turned into like mentality a little bit, maybe like, you know, I, I could maybe see that, you know, Leffen and no offense to G, but like Leffen would be probably the player that every single person thinks would beat G money. Um, so maybe he wasn't super thrilled about losing to G um, going into a set against me and then beginning to lose against me. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Leffen's head. We've never talked about it. Um, you know, so I don't want anybody to take what I'm guessing uh, to anywhere be close to fact. I have no idea. Like, you know, I literally have never talked about that set. Um, so I don't know what his, his thoughts around it were, but I'm sure he doesn't care at this point anyway. He's clearly <laughs> proved himself in more ways than I have as a competitor and, and all that in the scene. But yeah, he's a great, he's uh, Levin's cool. a great, fantastic player and can't wait to see the in the in the future once the pandemic is a is a behind us sort of thing to see Leffen and the other european players hopefully get into american events once again and i know that it's a lot of pressure for european players to come over here hopefully we'll be able to do a little bit of vice versa but you know you man they're grinding over there you know we're not the only ones getting the quarantine uh, practice in you know absolutely Slippy has really connected the continent and the same circuit. I'm really excited about that. I, I love that they're having that this year for, for, for Europe. Yeah. Uh, but uh, another, que- another question that I had was about the GR Smash compilation of Matt.zeb. So you can find that on YouTube if you look it up. <laughs> one of the... Which one of the part? Mo- <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> Which part? It's all legendary. I, I had a big smile on the entire time. I was like, this is so cool. That like, ending's got a little sweet sweet treat at the end for everybody. Oh, yes. Well, I won't spoil that for anybody who's who hasn't seen the video. You should absolutely check it out. I was tempted to ask about it, but really, just that's, this is about, about as good as a tease as I can give. Go, go watch that video. I can't but, believe you put that in the video. <laughs> but... Let's talk about the part where I have no idea what the context is. I just know you brought the house down where you're you're at a at a TV, at a setup, and you get up, take off your jacket, and you have this shirt on of like a fire flower crossed off, and everyone's freaking out. Scar's um, right next to you, who's yeah. like he's like, he's doing that, I can't believe it thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so so you're you have it all right, except it wasn't a fire flower on the shirt. Oh, so what the situation was, this was the Apex 2014 Salty Sweet. Uh, Salty Sweets are typically, the, the name comes from fighting game tournaments, like Street Fighter tournaments. Uh, once the day is done, would have a broadcast from a hotel suite uh, where people with rivalries or beef would play for money on stream. So the Salty Sweet. And, um, and it just you know, sounds cool to say. Uh, Melee is like, yeah, let's yeah, sure we can do that. <laughs> we can do one of those. And this player Kage and I had a pretty, what people would say, a very very entertaining set at a tournament. Um, Rom six, maybe Rom seven, and that was you know in earlier in 2014. And we had, we had just a really entertaining set. I think it got like 100k views, maybe 200k views or something on YouTube. A lot of people watched it. Uh, a lot of people tell me that was like the first set they watched for melee, which is crazy. Um, and anyway, the the salty sweet organizers were like, "Hey, do you guys want to do another one? You want to run it back?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure." So 
the setting was me and Kage in the Salty Suite uh, in Apex 2014. And yeah, there's a huge crowd around because um, there was a bunch of other matches too and uh, stream and all that. And I, I did, I had my hoodie on, but under it, what the shirt was, was his face with a red circle and a line through it. Oh my goodness. And I had that custom, I still have it. I had it printed before the tournament. I, you know, one off, made it, bought it online. Um, and had it shipped and all that. And he didn't know, nobody knew. Uh, he and I were hanging out before the match, though. We were hanging out in the hotel, uh, probably like an hour before the match, uh, in my room. Um, I had to be sneaky, because I had my... I actually had planned this out a little bit. I had my jet, my hoodie that I unzipped. But I had that on, but it was just like open, you know, because we're just chilling. And so he knew what shirt I had under it, right? So as we're going down to the salty suite, I like make it a point to like zip up in front of him. And and we're walking in the hallway and I'm like, oh, I forgot my phone. I'll be right there. So I run back to the hotel room, change shirts, zip back up. So he doesn't think anything has changed. And uh, then that moment comes around where, you know, I, I stand up in front of him in the crowd and unzip it and they're different shirt than what he had just seen me wearing five minutes ago <laughs> with his face crossed out on it. That was fun. And then I lost. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but it was fun. It was, it was a really, really, really entertaining set. It was actually, it was so much fun. Um, I'm really glad that we had such a, an entertaining follow-up to to the first set that we had had those two really kind of just i don't know those those are two of my favorite sets i've ever played for sure even though i lost them like we were just slugging on each other you know what i mean it's a good time oh yeah when you have when you have good melee you can't be mad uh, it uh, well maybe if it's like grand finals but like if it's sure. good melee and both players feel like they're playing really well and it just it just comes down to that thing where somebody wins then it does feel like that you come out of it going, okay, well, this sucks, obviously, but it was still good melee. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. That's really fun. I love the there. There's just little things that you have to do like that. I and I haven't had a moment like that myself. What I'm saying is that where you have to do a certain action, where they subconsciously absorb that information, and so they're not suspicious at all. I love that. Just you know, zip up the hoodie. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Maybe it's cold in the hallway. Who cares? Oh, I forgot my phone. I'll be right yeah. back. No <laughs> yeah, it's big deal. Awesome. Dude, it's all elaborate. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so yes, go check out shout outs to GR Smash. Go check out that compilation. Watch the end to the end. You will you'll love what you see, I promise. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so um we're getting to an hour here, so I don't want to take up too much more of your of your time. I had a few I'm more good. questions, I'm but good if you're good, I'm good if you're good. Okay, alrighty. Well, I really appreciate that. I guess I'll try to keep it to two more topics. I, I just wanted to hear about how communication in, in all of this, your communication skills, that to me seems to be a, a position of strength for you. Like if you were in another interview, not saying that you are, but if you were in another interview for a job, I mean, and somebody says to you, so Matt, like, what, would you, what are your strengths? I feel like one of the things you might say is that you're an excellent communicator. And also, I also want to compliment you in saying that like, even through all of these years where being a, a face of melee for the TO side, especially, but also the player as well. And 
being on Smashboards and Facebook and Discord and Twitter and being everywhere and having to maintain a certain persona, you might say, you've maintained a very friendly and welcoming vibe and energy. Like, I feel like being on the internet a lot or being in like the internet eye a lot sort of can drag away at that friendliness. It kind of makes you more of a like a cynical type of personality. But I want to I want to say like you like my own interaction with you 2021 you've been very friendly you've been very like polite professional all that stuff and i just wanted to sort of know what your perspective is on is that a purposeful thing is that something that's been with you from the very beginning like has the has the the um the call center been been a part of that because like you said that's communication that's a big deal maintaining conversations and everything else like that <laughs> I would say a lot of it was shaped through the answering service, yeah. That you, yeah, it, it really just, if you take 150 phone calls in a day for six years, <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it, you just gradually improve. I've had people ask me why I don't have a Boston accent. That's one reason. Sometimes it comes out, but for the most part, you, you won't really be able to tell just through a conversation with me. And that was one thing uh, I would train myself not to use, um, as well as just, you know, certain types of language and, and things like that. Um, I do think that job impacted it a lot. I also think that running tournaments helped. I've addressed crowds of 2,000 people from a stage at tournaments before stood up in front of them, been on broadcasts. So, you know, that sort of nervousness goes away but it's also certainly a lot easier when you're talking to a crowd of 20 people at a game shop that are your friends but that's you know how it would start um, for the most part so you know being able to communicate to people like that was just something that naturally occurred i guess through through tournaments it's funny to me though that you'd say it's a strong point or or something that i would call out as a skill i it's really not for me it's not something i ever really think about if, if i were to list my skill set that would maybe be one i'd pull out after like off the top of mind type of things if you know what i mean i think i think communication would certainly not be one of the things that came to mind for me at first so i do really appreciate you saying that i think that's very nice of you um and maybe that you know i, I you know people aren't always as good at identifying their own skills, I suppose. So I, I do appreciate you saying that. Uh, somebody else had said that to me recently as well. So maybe there's something to it. But, um, sorry, I might, have, I might have drifted away from your original question. No worries. Uh, you don't have to also take my word to be the, like the, uh, the gospel or anything with how, <laughs> how your strengths are. I'll take just... a compliment, you know, I'll take a compliment. Absolutely. Well, no, I myself am terrible at, at taking compliments and I'm, I don't always read the room perfectly, but I, again, I'm trying to, yeah, just trying to let you know that I've, I've appreciated the interaction we, we've had so far. And so let's go ahead and let's go ahead. Is great. That's what I will say, though. Positivity is great. So that's something I always try to, if I'm talking to somebody, you know, try to have a little bit of positivity to it. Absolutely. And that's a big deal for, for myself as well. So it's like, 
being on the being on like the melee Twitter and and being in the on the internet in general, we both probably see a fair share of of negativity and there's obviously days where where you're honest with yourself and you're saying today's a bad day, but you know when you're when you're interacting with other people, uh, especially people that you will talk to again, trying to maintain that that the the honesty but also just continue to try to find ways to be positive about it not necessarily lying to yourself but i I think what i've noticed from you is that generally when you when you are in front of other people even if maybe there is something happening on the side if there's if there's something that might be not going your way like the positivity is still there so i i just wanted to say i appreciated that it's it's I think the core of it is nobody is responsible for how you feel. So nobody needs to receive an output of how you feel, at least in a negative sense, like, you know, sharing like love and, and kindness and, th- you know, things like that are, are, I would say a bit different, but on the negative side of things, that's how I would think about it. So the last, the last thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of a topic is 2021 Melee. And mm. this, is the, this is the reason why I, I reached out to you in the first place. And I, I'm glad that I did for, for a lot of reasons. But now I'm, I'm, I am not to overhype this, this topic. But 2021 Melee is, there's a lot of ways to, to be positive about it. And there's probably maybe a handful of ways to be, to be negative about it. But oh, I think overall positive, that's, that's what I seem to see a lot. And mm-hmm. you had put out a tweet a little while ago after Team Acania dropped their first announcement of saying, hey, we got volleyball, we have Wolf in Melee now, and it works with Slippy, even if it wasn't or is still not necessarily an official like crossover yet. I don't want to put words in Fizzy's, Fizzy's mouth. It's not just to, just to clarify to anybody listening, technically they're, they're, they're separate right now, but they do work together simultaneously. Anyway, yes. you said, you said that the release of this is truly melee is truly getting out of Nintendo's hands. And you, you go on to say how you wonder how the community governance will work for adding new characters to the competitive wa- roster, potentially. Will volleyball get unranked? And you had, you know, just like basically saying there's all kinds of ways to react to this and how we can go from here, go into the future, 2021 and beyond. Mm-hmm. So the big question is, and please go in whatever direction you like, what do you see coming up here for the rest of 2021 Melee? Hmm. Character debates. I think that's uh, maybe an agreed-upon topic of, you know, we're not going to add new characters to a competitive roster, but I think that topic is one really good-feeling character away from, from actually coming up. Um, I don't know if that's going to be this year, but I have seen something that uh, it, it's. I think somebody made a toolkit that makes it easier to add characters to melee now. So if people are interested in that, I, unfortunately I can't remember what it's called or, or who made it. I just know I had read something along those lines. 
but you know it's going to be easier and easier for people to add characters to melee and if somebody adds a character that truly fits and feels very good and i'm not saying wolf doesn't feel good wolf actually feels pretty solid but you know i i think it's it's a question that will come up um i for now volleyball to me is something that will continue to receive tournaments like there's that clg tournament happening today which is really cool but yeah the spikers cup absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, i was checking a little bit of that out earlier although i do worry about when it comes back to LAN, because if you're running that as a tournament it's very it's very easy for just anybody to make a tournament and run it online and call it the volleyball cup or whatever right um but if you're like a shine or a genesis um you have to be a little bit more conscious about hosting something that nintendo wouldn't like because nintendo could just go to your venue and to you or whatever and see c and d and say well you can you just can't run this tournament right and you're at a much more significant loss than you would be if the tournament you're running is online and you received the same instruction right it's it's so much different to lose a venue than to have to back out of doing a broadcast and losing some sunk cost prep work into it you know and and obviously some funds but that doesn't compare um so i do worry because a venue a venue ties up like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah you get deposits you're you're on the hook for contracts yeah um so i do worry about the future of that when we come back to land um i think tournaments on the smaller regional side will just not really care um but yeah uh on the whole though i think the future here is pretty bright man uh, people are are increasingly playing melee uh, for very easy. It's not hard to get a melee setup going now. It's you have a computer, great. Download Dolphin. Uh, legally obtain your melee 1.02 ISO and um, get playing on Slippy. It's so it's so simple. All you need, you need an adapter. Like you hardly need anything um, compared to a CRT and, and, and GameCube and all that. Um, so the, the, the barrier entry is lower. Um, I think we're going to see more and more uh, box heads play in this game. People who play on, uh, you know, like arcade stick style controllers, uh, a bunch of buttons on it instead of a GameCube controller. Uh, we're already starting to see that. But I definitely think there's going to be more and more of it. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more content creation outside the norm. Um, Something that uh, we had done late last year was this project called Five Days of Melee. That was a, um, in total, it was about a 109, 110-hour broadcast that we raised $60,000 for direct relief for their efforts towards fighting COVID and, and putting boots on the ground and helping local regional hospitals, uh, you know, smaller medical facilities, essentially, uh, with much-needed supplies. Uh, it was Five Days of Melee content where... Honestly, gameplay was maybe 40% of those hours, maybe less. A lot of it was panels, game shows, uh, social games, uh, pre-produced content, live content that was not gameplay. Um, might might have been creative interviews like PGH Carroll doing a 99-stock interview. So they play a 99-stock game, and he's talking with PP the whole time, which, which was the case uh, in this instance. And I think that showed a lot of people making that type of non-gameplay content is actually quite viable. Um, 
So I think that's something we'll see more of this year. I'd, I'd love to, honestly. I think it would be a missed opportunity for people to have made, like, who wants to be a Melee-nair? And the episodes that we made for Five Days of Melee are the only ones that exist still at the end of 2021. You know, that would be such a shame. Um, so I think that we'll see more of that type of content. Um, yeah, I think one thing that the community needs to try to figure out is really how does it kind of govern itself, though? And that's that's a hard one. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, we've had panels in the past. We've had organizer groups, uh, conduct panels and things to try to make rule set changes or deal out punishments to players who should be deserving of punishments, you know, whether it's a temporary or permanent ban or blacklisting and things like that, right? Um, and and those all, they kind of ebb and flow, you know? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more initiatives like that in a year or two again come up. Um, but if we can find something this year to help with sort of community governance as a whole, I don't know. I think that would be, be pretty great. Uh, I, have, I have some ideas for it, but they're just totally, total insanity. And uh, I don't expect them to ever actually happen. So <laughs> but, uh, that's something I think the community does need to figure out. Because w what I had said in that tweet with, with the developments we're making in this game is that we're, we're getting it out of the hands of Nintendo. In a follow-up tweet to that, I had said, we're basically getting to the point where we can build the football. And what I mean by that is there, there's anybody can have a football. Anybody can get one and throw around. If you really wanted to, you could make one. And nobody is going to be able to say, yeah, but I'm the owner of the football. So you got to pay up, you know, or I don't want you to play this pickup game. You know what I mean? By being able to develop Melee to such a level, effectively this game is more or less had a modern update to it, right? We have training modes that you would find if you're lucky, you would find in leading fighting games from, from massive publishers, uh, we have an online client that is arguably the best online client for any fighting game. And people can now add characters, skins, stages, music, game modes, entirely functional game modes. Um, we're really getting to a point where the melee that Nintendo put out is is not going to be the community standard melee. And where where is it that it's just our football? Like wh when do we get to that point? And I don't know, but I think we're getting there pretty gradually, um, if not increasingly, with the developments out of the community since Slippy's release into the Akania build whatever else other people might be working on in the future. Um, and lastly, I know I'm rambling and going on into a lot of, lot of different answers for you on this, but there is a lot of potential in this community and a lot of potential for the future of it. Lastly, um, I would love to start seeing a Melee Saber Metrics uh, coming out of, of, the, of the nerds. Um, I don't have the coding level like the programming level knowledge yet to be able to do something like that I, i'm i'm not able to work with the existing 
Python wrappers or JSON or, or JS wrappers, JavaScript wrappers that work with the data output from Slippy, uh, which those exist. Uh, and Slippy outputs data on every single frame of the game for every single thing happening on that frame. Um, that if you're able to create a program to follow along with that and then apply the proper logic to the data being read by the program to then infer things like a player's average shine out of shield uh, efficiency rate, like frame perfect, two frames off, or, you know, uh, or even just like average uh, frame action out of shield uh, in a game, right? And then you like imagine now you apply that to um, a best of five grand finals or something, and you have a, a comprehensive stat set. Um, that's something that I think would be awesome to see. Uh, it tickles my fancy for sure. And um, I, I definitely think there, there, there are some development nerds out there that, or stats nerds out there with programming knowledge that would be able to develop something like this. And will it happen this year? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen this year, truthfully. But I think that's coming in the future. I, I'm certainly not the first person to desire a sabermetrics type of stats approach in this game. I'm not going to be the last one. And I'm not going to be the smartest person to do it either. So, you know, I think that's almost an inevitability. Um, and that's where I'll leave you. I don't even think I could recap everything I just said. So that's, that's where I'm going to leave it. The two things that you said that stood out to me. First of all, five days of Melee was an incredible achievement for everybody who was involved. So I wanted to say thank you to you. Uh, the Kevin Deere interview, Good Morning Melee, with you and him uh, talking about the what event sorry what the basic storyline of that event happening was yeah the one who's listening to this please go check that out because you get into it more with with him with deer talking about five days of melee but that was such a great event and i i do hope (laughs) no pressure or anything right that 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 happens on a on a yearly basis but we'll see and then the second thing i'm still gonna pay people out i'm waiting for the last bit of money that i'm paying people out Okay. I'm paying so, 50 people out of that, by the way. That's little, no, little, little fact so far. Uh, once I once I get the last money, that's uh, I'm just gonna run it and pay 50 people. I'm stoked. It's coming, y'all. Need to hang in there. You've been they hanging know. in for they a day. Know. Huh? They know. They know. <laughs> they know. Yeah. They know. <laughs> well, just in case it wasn't clear, you're gonna have to wait just a little bit longer. Okay. Yeah, um, another anyway. Sorry. The 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 second thing that stood out to me that, that you were saying was the, the, the organization part of the community, which is probably the hardest thing, the, the, the facet of all of this that is going to require the, probably just the most time and, and energy and resources, which when, when you talk about Melee, nobody really leads with, oh my gosh, the safety of the community is so hype. No, they usually talk about game, gameplay and content and players, and that's fair. That's what brings people in and gets people excited and, and everything else like that. But you and I know, of course, with the things that have happened in the past year, a, a, a serious part of it is that to be a more welcoming and safe 
place for for players and people and individuals to be in to be able to also express themselves and to 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 be their own selves mm-hmm. that doesn't happen by accident and it it is a shame that uh over the course of many years there have been bad stories as well as the good stories that happen through throughout the melee history and smash history and esports history in general and i don't want to get it twisted either that anytime you get people into a, a a room or people into a building there's there's potential as well as good things to happen for for bad things to happen as well so i don't mm-hmm. want to make it sound like this is a that that safety and welcomingness is is a specific melee issue or esports issue it, it is a people issue but how do we how do we go about it for what for what we can address and try to mitigate and and make sure that everybody feels like they have a voice and can be heard fairly it is very challenging but i think one thing that i have dwelt on or or, or considered or thought about for a long time i would just say to myself i'm fine i have a, a wife and two kids i'll i will help lead them especially my children into being decent human beings so that's probably good enough, right? I will also work on myself. That's that's probably good enough. But I think that a, a group of people carrying that mentality can be a, a dangerous train of thought because maybe there's a lot of complacency there. But if 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 the people who are sort of like me or or just the person in general, the people in general think maybe I should just be a little bit more vocal, be a little bit more willing to say, Look, let's just try and be conscious about this effort of, of of doing good, of being nice and being positive. If there's if there's a little bit more of that, I think over time that'll that'll lead to a more safe and welcoming community. Yeah. I think the fact that people are as outspoken and on the side of of, of people who are hurt through I guess what you maybe say are malicious actors in the scene. I hope that's not undercutting the severity of, of, of especially what had come up last summer. Um, but you know, there is there there are people who are very willing to to help and and, and help people be heard, um, and, and you know, to lend lend a hand when something does come up. Um, so that's great. I mean, there's there are so other there's so few other gaming communities that like self-govern like the melee scene does you know every every other modern esport is well what does our publisher say or want right um i i I genuinely can't think of of any other community that is so separated from the gaming publisher like that you know like if something like this came up in the fgc we would expect capcom to make a statement right Or, or i should say street fighter specifically if if we had the number of, uh, of allegations, particularly of sexual nature, like sexual assault uh, uh, type allegations um, against people in the Street Fighter community last year, which, which did happen, uh, we would be expecting Capcom to come out and sort of be the leader, Capcom and like the biggest tournaments that are partnered with Capcom to come out and the big, be the leaders of like, well, these people aren't, you know, allowed back at the tournament and things like that. You know, um, in the Melee scene, we're not holding our breath for Nintendo. Um, that, that just doesn't happen. And I don't mean to imply if 
other communities hold their breath and just sit on their hands when something like this comes up. People, there are are very positive groups in other fighting games and gaming communities, but strictly across as the average, uh, melee is, is a huge outlier in how it governs itself. Um, and I, I think on the whole, it's done a great job on that. I think it'll only get better. The way I kind of think about how prevention, I guess, if you could really say that, because I don't know, and this is gross to say, I don't know that it's something that you can 100% prevent when you're talking about 4,000 plus person events. And I know that not all of the cases that people would talk about happen at events that size. But, you know, when you have a community of this size in general, as it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, there's inevitably going to be bad people that do bad things in it and get away with it until they don't, right? And that's that sucks. It totally sucks. But I think that the path we're on, one of the bigger things that can continue to happen is just increased awareness of the possibility and of what makes safe situations for people that might be vulnerable. Um, and, you know, approaching that with, you know, this, this, this sense of, of community that, that people do, uh, I think is, is very important. And, you know, so when, when we do come back to land, people are already thinking like, well, what do we have to do here? Do we run uh, under 18 events? Like, do we give people who are under a certain age certain badge types? Which the answer to that is no, by the way. If anybody thinks that, the answer is no. Do not mark kids in a way that makes them clearly kids. Like, don't give them the bright orange badge and everybody else the purple one if they're above it. You know what I mean? Um, that's for any, for any prospective tournament organizers thinking about that idea. Don't do it. Um, don't make someone a target. But... Um, you know, there are a lot of things to consider, right? Uh, I think underage events is a good one, converse to the other suggestion I just threw out that's actually a bad one. Um, I think underage events is a good one, but that doesn't solve what can happen outside of the competitive play area, outside of the venue, right? Um, that doesn't stop something from happening. You know, no nothing's happening at setup 13, you know? Um, it's happening in the hotel room or the bar, right? Um, so that's something that I think awareness in general, when we're coming back to land, like I wouldn't even be opposed to seeing infographics begin circulating of just, you know, hey, are you going to a tournament first time? Here's some ways to stay safe. And But, you know, you, you do have, I think, other people who hear me say that might think, um, by putting out content like that, what you're inherently saying is that the community is an unsafe space, which is not true. Um, you know, I, I've, I mean, I've put myself in situations that if someone wanted to kill me, get away with it, <laughs> go for it, man. Like, you know, like it, it's not an unsafe space strictly. You know, I've, I've met people for the first time through Melee in, in, in their houses or in mine. Um, you know, or in, in random hotels, states over, you know what I mean? Um, obviously my experience does not speak for everybody. Um, you know, I, I have, I have different perspectives and, and backgrounds and, uh, privileges. I wanted to say privileges rather than perspectives, I should say. Um, but, you know, I think, I think at the core of what I'm trying to get out is that awareness is, is something that's going to be very important to 
continuing to have uh, a community that that is safe for all of its attendees and to avoid people doing awful things um, and like rising to prominence while they're doing it uh, to the point that you're just shocked uh, that you know of what you're learning and who you're learning it about right? uh, I don't know. It's it's definitely something that that it shook a lot of people. A lot of, a lot of what we learned last year it shook a lot of people, man. Like people I knew for ten years that I was like, this person has a heart of gold, and I will never, you know, I need to see them only once every five years, and you know, like people I felt like that about that, you know, came out and had news against them and stuff, and I don't. I don't have anything more to say on that. And the the last piece of it probably it has to do with uh, the accountability idea, because like you said, prevention, uh, awareness, like there, it doesn't cast a perfect net, and and it's not like there's any solution that is easy to go for, because of course we would have done that by now. Yeah, and so. Will there be an idea of of, of 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 accountability in some in some measure taken for for in person events in the future? But what what I like to hear, I guess, and not necessarily all the time, because you know there are other things to to talk about as well around melee around these sports, is that that there are people willing to have these sort of conversations who are willing to to not just shy away from it and be kind of like a, a don't ask, don't tell thing, like for, for people to be able to share concerns, to say, mm-hmm. Hey, this is something that I've been dealing with, or someone has been uh, saying, doing things that I, that I'm not comfortable with like, and, and, and scaling that however you want to, but just to make sure that the people who need to, uh, share their voice uh, who who are especially vulnerable that that is a big deal and that mm-hmm. for for someone who might either accidentally or purposely find themselves in a position to 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 take advantage of something or a situation that there's an there's an accountability piece that also comes into the back of their minds like that they can actually go oh wait there I know what happens if this if if what I intend on doing goes forward so it's it's a it's a you can't you can't solve it all in one day and 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 i i i'm not going to pretend that we're never going to hear anything come out again moving forward because of course we're going to but to continue to raise awareness is is probably the 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 first step and the the easiest one but where you go from there where melee and, and esports in general uh it is it is it is a very very tricky challenge but one that yeah. i i say if if we aren't willing to do it then that that is that is an indictment on us we we have to be willing and 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 ready to take steps forward to continue to try to continue to be safer and and a more welcoming community yeah, yeah. what's great is that so many people have that mindset and i I remember back in 2000, maybe I think it was 2013, um, 
was maybe 2012 was when there was a, a big movement around the community to stop or, or using certain types of language um, that, you know, you, would, would, would be derogatory to some people. Like you, you might as uh, you know, have been saying it as like to mean something is dumb or you, you beat somebody really bad or something like that, like, or bad, you beat someone like badly, you know, like you, you but a lot of the words that were used there are words that, you know, people really didn't out like who didn't get that context took it would, would think it to mean something different rightfully so um and in, in in 2013 there was um i think 2013 there was a really big community effort to be like hey look like this isn't really welcoming like like this isn't something that you know people are going to come into the community here and then say these are people i want to be around you know um and and there was a huge just across the board everybody's like you know what yeah that's right you a hundred percent across the board because you know there's there's some edge lords out there you know 16 year old's gonna be 16 right but like there's definitely a, a shared sentiment of having this community be a welcome and open place and comfortable place for as many people as possible i have met people from every kind of background through this scene you know and the fact that we that, that that's even possible is crazy. Uh, that that the community is so diverse as it is. You know, bad actors aside, I think it's it's certainly one of the more progressive gaming communities out there. And we're very lucky. We're very very lucky for that. People don't realize just how lucky we are about the community's sort of policing of itself. It's it, and its activism. Uh, for the good of its own members is, is something that, that not other many esports have. And a clear example of the of the diversity piece is that hopefully for, for years to come, we'll get to look forward to a Black Empowerment Melee Invitational like we saw a weekend so ago. Cool. I love that Brandon did that waffles, that he did that. Oh my gosh, that was so cool. It was It was a great event, and I love that there was it was not just about the, the, the empowerment aspect, but also mm -hmm. raising money for charity is like, all of that is not just a, and I, again, I, I try to, I try to use a, a paraphrase of, of how Brandon, of how homemade waffles, homemade waffles described it as, as not just, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe we should do something like this. We absolutely should, but it's, it's a celebration mm -hmm. and, uh, of the fact that we have such diversity and that we want to continue to push in that direction. So yeah, it, it was a great event and I look forward to it. Hopefully more in the future, not to pressure homemade waffles, but I'd love to see that again. What, an, sure. inspiration. what an inspiration that guy is. Absolutely. So to, to wrap up, cause yes, I, I do want to, uh, want to get you going here. I don't want to take sure. up too much more of your time. You've been very, very generous and I appreciate it. Uh, you want to do your lightning round? Yes. <laughs> what is up with the Kirby Air Ride City Trial? Like to, what, is this something that you still feel very strongly about? Like, it's just one of the best, dude. No, I, I, I think it's great. Um, <laughs> If I had the opportunity, I, I would definitely like if somebody, you know, if we had a group of people to play, 
uh, Kirby Red Six Trial, dude, I'd be so down. Uh, I used to play that all the time. It's such a lazy game because you can play it with one hand. Because the L button does what the A button does, and the A button is the only button you need. <laughs> so wow. You just, play, you just play with L and the control stick. <laughs> um, it's such a lazy game. But I, I think it's great. Uh, I, used to, I used to play it all the time, man. I, I think it's so much fun. Definitely one of the... Uh, it's, a, it's a gem of a GameCube game, you know? For me, my, my underappreciated, and it's not really underappreciated, but I, I just feel like that Mario Strikers for the GameCube doesn't get talked about enough. It's a great game. Okay, so do you think, and you would be one to know this, do you think that there's another game out there that exposes your commitment or lack thereof to getting better as Melee does? Do you understand <laughs> what, I, what I mean by that? I don't understand the lack thereof. No, I don't. So like, what do, mean, what do you mean the lack thereof? My commitment to getting better. For for melee, I think about how you 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 are the best in your neighborhood or you're best among your group of friends, and so you go, well, obviously I'm the best in the world. But then you realize, oh, I haven't been practicing and grinding like these like these people have. And to uh-huh. be the best in the game, you obviously have to dedicate a lot of time. But then there's games like Kirby Air Ride where it's a one handed game, so like you don't need to be that have that energy to to play uh-huh. well uh-huh so is there a game out there in your opinion that sort of matches the same level of melee where in order to be good in order to see your work pay off there has to be a lot of work in the first place and that i play no <laughs> i don't play any game that's even close to that um i don't play any other real competitive games um at least not in a competitive way. I don't play 2D fighters. Like, I don't play Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Tekken, DBZF, uh, or DBFC, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't play those games. I downloaded Dragon Ball Fighters the day it came out. I bought a PlayStation controller to plug into my controller, like, a, like to my computer, like, whatever the newest PlayStation 4 controller or whatever. Um, I played the game for a day. That was it. <laughs> I think I played it for, like, four hours. And never played it again. Um, so that tells you about how I find how enjoyable I find 2D fighters. Um, I just never really played them in general. But uh, yeah, as far as a game that like requires in, in such a degree of mentality and execution that Melee does, that I play, I got nothing close, man. Um, I can tell you that for the most part, I don't really. Like, I think the last two years have actually been a pretty big departure for what my norm of the last decade has been in relation to video games. Um, I definitely used to play them a lot in the 2000s, right? I'm in elementary, middle, high school, right? I'm going to play video games. I play a lot of them. I still have a lot of the games I used to play. Uh, I even used to try to speedrun some games. Like, I used to speedrun Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance. Um, And, yeah, I, I would have a pretty big collection where I'd play all sorts of games all the time. Um, but for most of the last decade, I didn't really... I, I don't know. Something about sitting down to play a game felt like a big commitment. So I just didn't really do it as much. Um, you know, casual Mario Party games here and there, of course. You know, uh, normal sane person, right? But um, uh, probably until the last, like, two years, uh, I didn't really play much. But I, I, last year I played some Hollow Knight. I got to 111%, I think, on Hollow Knight. Out of 112 that you can get, the last Pantheon's really, really hard. 
uh, and um, you know a couple other platformers and stuff. But this year, uh, especially in COVID, I've been playing more and more games. And the game that has betrayed me the most and has become probably like a top five hours in game for me. Um, like Melee is clearly number one. I actually don't know what is number two, but this is definitely up there. Uh, Hades. I have played, I think I'm at 560 hours in Hades right now, something like that. Um, and that's since downloading the game last June. Um, so that game has definitely hooked me. And I think that's, <laughs> it definitely fits into like a kind of low effort, but can be really hard type game that I, I like, you know, I, I like the variability on that. Yeah. All I know about Hades is that apparently Hades got robbed at the Game Awards. Should have gotten Game of the Year. It's such a good game, dude. It's so good. Um, it's just it's it's a roguelike. I don't even play those games. <laughs> I hadn't really even played that genre before. Um, but Hades has just been such a fun game, and it's kind of my go-to like kill an hour, two hours, sometimes more kind of game, you know. Yeah, right just up. lose track of a little bit of time. Yeah, no biggie. Yeah, it's like, am I going to play Melee tonight or am I playing Hades? Like, that's the question, you know? Or Hearthstone Battlegrounds. But that game is so brain dead. So then, next question here. What Melee... Yeah, that wasn't lightning at all, I'm sorry. No, sorry, what'd you say? I said that was... I didn't give you a lightning answer for your lightning question. My bad. I'll be well, quicker. I'll be no. quicker. This shouldn't require too much, uh, <laughs> unless you want, <laughs> unless you want to get into it. But I don't think you do. What melee character would be fun to have around in real life, either as a close friend or as just like that one person that you don't really want to see, but you'll you'll you know you'll be nice to if you have to. Okay. Um. <laughs> Okay, so that's who do I want as a friend, or who would I be nice to just because I have to be? Yes. Um, yeah. Let's see. I think... I think I would be probably nice to, like, Link. Or no, to Roy. But not really like Roy. Maybe Marth. Probably one of those two. I don't know. I just think I'd be, like, nice to them, but not really enjoy it. Um, for clo a close, who do who would I think would be fun, like legit fun to be around, and as a close friend, man, crazy question. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Ganon, like, why <laughs> Ganon's coming to mind for this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, Ganon can probably, except for maybe Bowser, probably be the one to like hang with you the most with like you know, like at, at a bar or whatever, right? Like, could like I think throw back. you could definitely throw one back with Ganon. Yeah, exactly. Right. What is your favorite word that starts with J? Juniper. And that is the end. We made it to the end. Matt.zeb, thank you Thanks. so much for coming on and giving so much of your time. I've had a, a, no an enlightening and also really fun time talking with you. I hope that you have felt welcome on bottom, bottom of the Smash Mountain. I know you haven't been here in a minute, but... <laughs> 
Thank you so much for joining me. This is a blast. Thank you so much for having me on, Jesse. This is really cool. I have to go back and start and, and listen to that Patty podcast too. So yes. I, I got something to listen to now. Thank you, please, by all means. If you find any of it particularly fun, that's great. If you fall asleep to it, that also works. I will not be offended at all. <laughs> I hope sure. I help somebody somewhere down the line fall asleep. You know, that's a big yeah. deal. Right, right. That's when you've made it. Yes, absolutely. When somebody comes up to me and says, yeah, I use you to fall, fall asleep. I think that's <laughs> like one of my podcasting dreams. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so... One more time, do you want to like plug anything or like tell people where they can find you, or are you are you about done with all that? I mean, sure, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, um, twitter.com slash Alston Melee. Hit up my Patreon, patreon.com slash Alston Melee for 420 a month. You can support the crew, check out my broadcasts on Twitch. I have a podcast every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash Alston Melee. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not part of Austin Melee at all. I just like to promote them. Um, if oh, man, actually, what are you doing? <laughs> if you actually, actually want to follow me, uh, if you actually want to follow me, twitter.com slash dot zeb. That's D-O-T, so you spell it out, D-O-T-Z-E-B. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's where you get me. Um, I don't really use any other social platforms. But shout out to Austin Melee. Shout out to Austin Melee. And one more time, Matt. Matt.zeb Zaborowski. Did I get that right? Good enough. Good enough. Okay. <laughs> Why is it so quiet? Oh, right. Transition. Wow. What a great interview. I, I listened to it again, by the way, because that's how I do at Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Your boy listens to the interviews just to make sure they sound good, that there's no random drop-off spots of silence. So... Anyway, all that to say, Matt Dazeb, thanks again for coming on. Love to have you again and to have another almost two-hour conversation. I'd be very good with that. That's the kind of content I want to hear, so I'm making it. Anyway, let's talk about the Spikers Cup just briefly here. You'll want to hear a little bit about that, I imagine, because Matt and I mentioned it at some point in our, in our conversation want to give a big congrats to Will 1v1 and Free Palestine for winning the doubles event for the Spikers Cup presented by at Flix, FlexFit, hashtag CLG Fighting, at CLG Gaming on Twitter, all that good stuff. And then, who is the winner of the singles event? Well, wouldn't you know it, Will 1v1, once again, was the winner of the singles event. So... Well, 1v1 was part of the doubles team with Free Palestine that won the double side. And then on the single side, Will 1v1 takes the singles event for volleyball. What a great showing. And I've seen a few of the highlights. hope to watch the rest, like the full matches themselves, at least to the grand finals of the doubles and singles. Some really cool metagame stuff happening already with the volleyball. Some great serves and strategies. And I love that it seems like it's going to change a little bit over time. Of course, Falco won't be going anywhere in the metagame of volleyball. But I, I love that Axe, who got second in the singles event, you know, GG's, congrats to everyone who, com who competed. Axe was playing as Pikachu, and you love to see that. 
And even though you might say, well, why not just pick the best character and go for it? That's one of the reasons why Melee is so fun, because even if Falco might be the quote-unquote best player, Sheik's also a strong player for Volleyball, Fox, Captain Falcon, you can get other characters like Ganondorf, like Pikachu, like Mario. Although, I'm sorry, Walt, I don't know if Mario's really going to win a major, but... I'm really glad that CLG Gaming put this on in particular, Spiker's Cup, FlexFit. You love to see that. Hopefully, hopefully I'm going to see more of these down the line and be able to get into it a little bit more. Although I mentioned Walt, I want to also congratulate Walt, give a shout out, turn down for Walt specifically. That's what I'm talking about here. <laughs> was co-commentating with Toph. So that's really cool to see as well. That's that's some big that's some big time stuff. You love to see that. And oh, I love melee. Long live melee. Okay. Let's let's go ahead and wrap this up. We've been at this for almost 2 hours or over 2 hours now. I have some more interviews coming down the line here for the rest of this week people within Smash, but also people in my own life trying to continue to get to that as well. Season 2 is not far around the corner here. We're in Season 1 right now, but for Season 2, we got some really cool things coming around your way in the form of intro music, outro music, and new artwork for the pod. So I'm really excited for you all to see slash hear all of that stuff when it comes out. And stick around. It's going to be fun. Can't wait to get to more episodes. But for now, hopefully you enjoy your morning or evening, day, afternoon, midnight snack. Yeah. What does the cow say? Moo. Moo. Good job. What does the kitty cat say? Good job. What does the doggy say? Woof woof. Good job. Can you say linguistic specialist? Okay. Good job. That was a good try. Can you say outside? Do you want to go outside? Okay. Okay. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.